The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 6 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past six in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 10 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Paris, midnight in Kiev, 1 a.m. in Moscow, half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 3.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 6 a.m. in Singapore in Honkers and in Perth, I'm sorry about that, 9 a.m. in Sydney, far more civilised hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri and Saturday afternoon. For our listeners in the Pacific, we don't have a 101 years ago show, but if we did on this day in 1921, February 25th, the Georgian capital Tbilisi fell to Russian forces after heavy fighting and the Russians proclaimed the birth of the Georgian Soviet Socialist Republic. On the other hand, on this day 31 years ago, February 25th, 1991, the Warsaw Pact met in Budapest and dissolved itself. So there's a lot of back and forth in that part of the world over the last uh, century. Uh, Let's get to it. It's uh, day two of war in Europe, and uh, folks are itching to have their say about it. Douglas asks, Mark, what in your view is the cause of Putin's invasion? Is it NATO expansion or is he another Hitler? Also, what do you make of the idealistic rhetoric coming from both American conservatives and liberals? To me, it shows the uniparty deep state is still here and that Trump did not drain the swamp. Well, I couldn't be, to do the last part first, I couldn't really be less interested in anything that any member of the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, frankly, uh, has to say about this. I mean, the 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 administration uh, are, are a joke, are a laughing stock. Uh, Biden uh, Biden's talking about now. Oh, don't expect there to be any effects from these sanctions we're announcing. <laughs> and then some other guy stands up. In uh, you know, I just catch these things as um someone makes the mistake of irritating me by switching to an American news channel, and uh, I'm looking at some guy from the State Department saying, oh, don't worry, none of these sanctions are going to do anything to impede the flow of oil and gas out of Russia. (laughs) Okay, so we're coming up. Now, 
I will. I regret <laughs> that the Russians will not be at the Eurovision Song Contest. That is a big loss. And I regret that whatever footy match that was supposed to be being held there, I don't know what it is. Was it called the champion? I don't know what it is. Anyway... Whatever it is, the footy match that was supposed to be even played there. But those are those are peripheral but real. Uh, for the most part, this ugly, this basically the uh, the government of the United States is engaged almost permanently, permanently these days, in uh, in in obscuring the truth from the American people, Douglas. So. Uh, that's why you, that's why you get all this right. The fact is, about fifty percent of um, the imported oil to the United States uh, come is divided between Russia and Canada. And it used to be that Canada was the number one source of imported oil. I mean, that's really good. everyone still thinks it's coming from uh, the Arabs, but it's not actually. Uh, Saudi Arabia's. Uh, supplies about 6% of America's imported oil. The, the Arabs aren't... He, I know Biden is desperate and he's asked them to jack up the flow, uh, but they actually aren't terribly important. About 50% of the imported oil comes from Russia and Canada combined. And it used to be that Canada uh, was the number one source of imported oil to the United States, which would make sense because it's close. It's an ally... It doesn't have the complications that arise when you're paying your enemies for something you need, uh, such as when you are paying, say, Saudi Arabia, and then they use all the money to uh, build madrasas and mosques all over the planet and radicalize generations of young men. Uh, there, there, there isn't that kind of complication attached when you buy your oil from Canada. Um, so they were in the lead, but now Russia has overtaken them to become the principal source of imported oil to the United States. And oil is $100 a barrel. And uh, I think when, when Trump left office, it was about 40 bucks a barrel. So you, it's not difficult to work out. Uh, you know, if you were making 40 grand a year and suddenly you're making 100 grand a year, You've got all the money you need to do all kinds of things you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And so and so this useless American government, uh, which is through its policies. And OK, and this this goes to you people who uh, are so concerned about the planet, future of the planet, climate change, John Kerry, uh, Leonardo Di DiCaprio. If you are in favor of climate change, uh, measures right now obstructing domestic sources of energy, whether in North America or in Europe or anywhere else, you're on the side of Putin because you're driving oil up to a hundred uh, bucks a ga uh, hundred bucks a barrel. And uh, uh, what am I talking about here? I've forgotten the unit. Uh, Forty dollars. Uh, what was I talking? Forty dollars a barrel. Hundred dollars a barrel. Yeah, there's barrels. That's right. Uh, you've more than doubled the price of oil in a, a year, 
And that's why Putin's got all the money he needs to invade other countries. He's got, he has no cash flow problems at the moment. You might have cash flow problems at the moment because you own a, a hairdressing salon and the last couple of years have been brutal and you happen to have it in California where the laws change every three weeks. So you never know whether it's worth having a stylist available uh, because the salon might be closed by random order of the state. You you have a cash flow problem, but Vladimir Putin does. The best way to stop Vladimir Putin invading places would be to drive oil down to 25 bucks a barrel. And then he'd have some serious cash flow problems and he wouldn't be able to invade anywhere. Now, his, his, to come back to Douglas's question, what in your view is the cause of Putin's invasion? Because he can. Because he can. He wants to... He doesn't want to go down. The, he doesn't want to, the way you look at it at paper at the moment is that Putin would keel over from a heart attack. He would go down as the president under whom the Russian sphere of influence shrank. It's not just that uh, when the Soviet Union dissolved in the early 90s and they created this stupid uh, Commonwealth of Independent States thing, which Ukraine... Uh, was one of the founders of, but hasn't participated in at all for about 15 years now. Um, but it's that during your term of office, all these countries that were once part of the Soviet Union or the Warsaw Pact have become part of NATO and the European Union. So although people who remember you may remember you as a big strutting strongman riding around bare-chested and all the rest of it, uh, to, the, uh, to the history books, you might just look like a guy under whom uh, Russia's world shrank considerably to the point where you now border NATO and European Union states. So he would like to get that back. And that resounds with an awful lot of people. You know, um, the earliest photographs I have for my family are uh, from a branch of the family that was in Odessa. Uh, they're not there now. Uh, a lot of people who used to be in Odessa aren't in Odessa anymore. But Odessa is officially in Ukraine. Uh, but at periods throughout both uh, the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union was known as uh, Russia's southern capital. So there is a big there is a big chunk of opinion that thinks that Odessa is is part of Russia. And so, uh, and so what Putin is doing is, and, and again, we get to the point then where we have large numbers of Russian people, people who identify as Russian in Ukraine, and for, and for whom, uh, and one of Putin's things has been to bring the Russian people home because he's, he had demographic problems, uh, terrible demographic problems, actually, um, a huge percentage of Russian babies were aborted, and there, so he was running out of Russians. One way to do that was to bring Russians home from overseas. Another way to do it is to look at borderlands that have significant numbers of Russian people and figure out ways to get them back inside the club. Then the question becomes, uh, 
Now, and, and now um, Douglas goes on to say, is it NATO expansion or is he another Hitler? No, he's not another Hitler. He's a guy, he's a bloody ruthless thug. He's the kind of guy you would expect if you make your KGB guy uh, head of state. But he's thinking, as we discussed uh, with David Starkey last night, he's thinking like a conventional uh, head of government used to do before the ninnies of Europe and America uh, <laughs> took over a couple of generations back. He's thinking like a, a, a conventional uh, prudent head of the state of what is in his state's interest. Now, he does have a lot of people killed. Uh, he's not a nice guy. He's not someone you'd want to trust in, in that sense. Um, but he's thinking fairly clearly. And he's thinking, well, look, what's we've got Joe Biden at the moment. Joe Biden, it's not just that Joe Biden is dead, but it's that everyone around Joe Biden is brain dead. I mean, honestly, look at just look at Tony Blinken. I won't even go to Kamala, but look at Tony Blinken. Look at that anguished guy. He, he's an admiral. I thought when they started going on about the tranny admirals, I thought he might be one of the tranny admirals. But apparently he's a non-tranny admiral. Very rare now. Uh, the guy who does the briefings for whatever it is, the Department of Defense with the anguished eyebrows. These are losers. Everybody America puts on television right now, everybody the American government puts on television is an obvious loser and a laughingstock. If you were, if you were producing a film or a play, you would never cast these people in that role. I mean, because they come off as losers and laughingstocks. So for, so for Putin, and, he, and don't forget that one of the advantages of an authoritarian state such as Russia is that you can move fast. You can't move fast in America. Nothing can be done fast. You know, the only thing that can be done fast in America is the spending of money. And you spend the money very, 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 very fast. And then you uh, try to see any visible sign on the landscape that even a tenth of that amount of money has been spent. And you can't. So going back to the Obama stimulus package, you can't point to, well, I can point to a couple of border crossings in the woods that get two cars an hour, but were generously uh, widened to six lanes on the American side, while Her Majesty the Queen makes do with a piece of two-lane blacktop with a hut in the middle on the Canadian side. Uh, you can see that kind of thing. But otherwise, for the most part, you can't see where anything for any of this money. Nothing. Nothing. And the advantage of an authoritarian state such as Russia is that when he decides to act, he can act quickly. And I think that's pretty clear what he's going to do now. He doesn't know. He might actually believe that, you know, uh, ooh, uh, it's all going to go the Republicans' way in the midterms. And uh, then uh, you, who knows what will happen next? Liz Cheney might become president in a couple of years' time. And then who knows what will happen? Uh, so he's decided that his moment to act is now, and he's acted. Um, as to the rest, as to your thing about American concern, I don't want to see Lindsey Graham on TV. We all know every time Lindsey Graham is on TV, Republicans are losing. There are no votes for Lindsey Graham Republicanism. And he should be ashamed of himself. You know, boots on the ground in every country on earth. 
The, the, the U.S. military has boots on the ground in whatever it is, 130 countries or something, something crazy. And yet it can't win any wars in any of them. So they should all go home and have a think as to why it's all turned to crap. But no one wants to see Lindsey Graham on TV. Uh, you know, now, now we're back to losing for Republicans because the choices between, you know, the transgender Democrats, identity policy Democrats, Democrats with uh, whatever, you know, whatever pronouns you think you, you have, 50, what is it, 57 gender identities now? No, that's Heinz, isn't it? Well, I think it is, actually. It's the same. Heinz and gender identities, both 57. Gee, it's almost like they just pull that number out of their butts. Um, but if, you, if you're not happy with 57, the Democrats will come up with 130. And you're going to uh, all that. So you've got a party talking about all this rubbish, the delusional stuff, as David Starkey said on yesterday's Stein show. And then you've got another kind of delusion, which is that which which is the Lindsey Graham delusion? You know, war, war, war. The somebody put mentioned this in the comments. It's very odd. We learned during the COVID that America doesn't make anything, doesn't make aspirins. It, it, it its headaches uh, are basically uh, ameliorated by the good graces of the Chinese Communist Party. Doesn't make uh, batteries. It doesn't make chips. Uh, it doesn't make T-shirts, it doesn't make socks, but apparently the one thing it still makes is weapon systems. West weapon systems from Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and the rest of them that are good for a 20-year quagmire, but nothing else. It's almost like the entirety of American government is a complete racket. Uh, obviously, Trump didn't drain the swamp, Douglas, to go to your final point, because, you know, it's it's all swamp and it's very deep. Brian says, uh, dear Mark, more and more, I'm believing that World War Three is going to be a certainty. The West foolishly believed by not defending itself as to not anger our geopolitical and nuclear powered enemies that we can avoid World War Three. World War Three can only be prevented if we show the world that we are ready for World War Three, not afraid of it. We can't keep trying to avoid conflict because we're afraid the neocons are going to get rich from this. Opportunists are always going to be there, as the pandemic has shown. The West, with its leaders practicing totalitarianism, are going to be taught a harsh lesson from those who have mastered it. Is there hope for us, or are we witnessing the beginning of a very dark and deadly future? Your thoughts, Mark? Well, I think there's an open question as to whether uh, there is going to be World War Three, because China, as you know, is um, taking over the world without firing a shot and doing it very successfully. It's doing it in a very clever way. It's basically applying the American model to every little rinky-dink island or African basket case. And it's interesting to me. It's not a conventional empire in, in the sense of, uh, you know, Britain's or France's. Um, it's, it's the way a canny mercantile power... Uh, 
obligates other nations. So if you look at I, the one I example I keep giving is uh, the billion pounds under the Belt and Road uh, thing. Is that the right thing? I always keep forgetting it. Belt and, Belt and Road. Uh, I always get confused with the belt and belt and braces or belt and suspenders, as uh, as Americans say. Uh, I had a producer always used to describe himself as that. He took no chances. He, uh, you know, he was one who was always prepared. So if the belt broke, his trousers stayed up because he was wearing suspenders. So he always, oh, I'm a belt and braces man, and everything was like that. And uh, actually, I miss him some some nights on GB News, as you may have noticed. I miss a belt and braces guy. Anyway, um, uh, the the Chinese spent a billion quid in Antigua and Barbuda, uh, which has about 100,000 people. That's a lot of money to spend there. Uh, if you look at what they've done in Sri Lanka, Uganda, Latin America, what they're doing is they're making all these countries indebted to China in the way that... America is so that when something goes uh, something goes wrong and they can't repay, then they take the airport as they do in Uganda, or they take a ninety-nine year lease on the port, as they do in Sri Lanka, and they'd much rather continue doing that. Uh, then you've got Putin, who isn't really interested in any of that kind of thing. Putin, Putin, uh, and uh, Chairman Xi think. Uh, like conventional imperial powers. They think about the Chinese interest and the Russian interest. The Chinese interest is in owning the world. The Russian interest is in in, uh, carving back a sphere of influence that puts the European Union and all... It's not good to have... uh, if you're if you're running a strongman state like Russia, and people exaggerate the degree to which Russia is totalitarian, it's not there's a high degree. You you know horrible things can happen to you in Russia, but you know horrible things can happen to you in the in the United uh, in the United States. So Russia is an imperfect land, but what they don't want is. Uh, and this is a fair point. They don't want the suicidal tendencies of the European Union, of the West, in effect, bleeding up to their front door. Uh, and and that's why Putin figures this is he wants he, he wants a serious Russian zone. I couldn't have put it any better, if I do say so myself, than the other night on television when I said that, you know, we had some guy, club member, who uh, was used to do this line every couple of... that he was sick of hearing about... I take it he didn't like the 100 Years Ago show. He was sick of hearing about Austro-Hungarian trivia. OK, genius. Uh, which... Uh, what do you think Western Ukraine used to be part of? You know, uh, I said there's a vacuum. Ever since the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, there's a vacuum between the European Union and Russia where a medium-ranked regional power used to be. So I'm not interested in... Uh, in I'm not interested in the, the uh, you know, the, the uh, ignorant parochialism when the world's going to hell 
And your particular country has a big part to play in that because it outsourced all its manufacturing to China so that China became the dominant economic power on the planet and has just been given, a, just on the very day the war started, just rewarded uh, Russia by uh, buying up a big bunch of uh, gas and all kinds of other stuff so that Putin's got even more money uh, to stick it to the Ukrainians. These things are all connected. And yes, and so just to be clear on this, because I'm not Lindsey Graham, I don't want American boots on the ground in Ukraine or anywhere else. I think American boots should be confined to the 50 American states and however many uh, territories it is, uh, Guam and Puerto Rico and whatever, uh, because I don't think because they'll lose. Because the American way of war doesn't work. Because you've got the worst general staff on the planet. And they should be back in the United States figuring out why the American way of war. Do you know this war that's going on right now, by the way, is actually the war they're wargaming down in the basement of the Pentagon every day of the week. I got showed it by Donald Rumsfeld. Because uh, he was complaining. To, we were strolling. We were going through the food court there which was faintly depressing. Uh, and uh, uh, he was talking about how Congress only gives you money for things you don't want to do and never for anything you do want to do. And by way of example, he, uh, he, he showed me the room where they come down and plan for tank battles on the East German plain. So this is actually the one thing they... This isn't come by surprise like 9-11. This is what they spend every day wargaming. And they and uh, but I still don't want them there because they'd lose. The the Pentagon can't win a war, so you don't want them anywhere near. You don't want them anywhere near. Um, I don't know whether there's going to be a World War Three. I actually think you know that it's this isn't like Yugoslavia thirty years ago. This war is, is going to be harder to contain. Uh, Belarus is already part of it, which is why, ooh, Americans announce, America is announcing sanctions on Belarus too. You don't know how many people are, are going to be coming into it uh, by uh, the time. Uh, by, it, it's, it, this, this is more like the Archduke in Sarajevo. It has the capacity to spread in ways you can't predict. Peter Jones says, John Kerry fears a Russia-Ukraine war will distract from climate change. Yeah, we mentioned that as a throwaway line, Peter, David Starkey and I yesterday. The stupidity of our leadership class is just quite in indestructible. You know, it's, people should just say this to John Kerry. They won't, because all the broadcasters, the kind of people who are in the room when he talks like this, uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, or the BBC, uh, all, all they'll be doing is nodding their head. If you're talking about climate change now, the, you know, there was all, in their last days, the Soviet Union spent quite a bit of money funding the environmental movement, and then the Soviet Union collapsed. So in theory, they weren't able to fund it anymore. But by then, they didn't need to because all these people genuinely believe this rubbish. The fact is, 
the the fact you know when you say to a climate change person oh it's, it's have you seen the price of uh, gas at the pumps today they go oh yes i know isn't it good now you'll have to think about giving up that big gas guzzler of yours and maybe getting a second hand uh, toyota corolla or maybe uh, taking the bus uh, in uh, every day to work if you still have a job uh that that's that <laughs> do you know when you, Bill Maher, uh, when had a book out called something, when you ride in, in your SUV, you ride with Bin Laden. In other words, that all the money you're paying for your big fancy car, it's all going to the Saudis and Bin Laden. It's actually, as, as we were just talking about, at a hundred bucks, uh, at a hundred uh, Bucks a barrel. It's uh, it's 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 enabling Putin to invade anywhere he wants to invade. But you can't. You know the thing is. Um, the th- the thing is, better dead than red is is really the way modern liberalism uh, uh, thinks because it it genuinely believes that it would rather uh, that. Uh, that um, it would it would rather basically sacrifice itself entirely at the altar of of um, Putin's ambition than change its mind. It's too much trouble for it to change its mind. It's too much trouble. Jan Shebout says, "Dear Mark, Western enemies have apparently been uh, working tirelessly." I got what was that? I got on to something I didn't quite finish. I can't remember. I'll come back to it. Western enemies have apparently been working tirelessly for years on a master plan. Events are happening so fast that it's difficult to keep up. Considering the reported cooperative deal, the trifecta of evil Russia, China and Iran have hatched. Do you think they are executing this plan of democracy, defeat and coordinated stages and that Russia was simply the first to go? I noticed they targeted Ukraine, the nation that has enormous mineral, energy and agricultural assets needed for a war machine, but then nabbed a strategic island off of Romania. Considering that British Airways was just cyber attacked, how does a hobbled US not begin sending in our bravest? Now the Ukrainian president has unfollowed all world leaders on his Twitter account. Do you think that we could see Western surrender before our planes even take off? Please gaze into your Earl Grey tea leaves. Actually, don't say, don't say that, Jan. Do you know what I'd love right now? I'd love a cup of Lapsang Souchong. And I don't think I'm going to be able to get one in the next uh, half hour or so. Uh, and give us your take on your analysis of possible scenarios. Thanks, Mark. Loving you on GB News. Well, look, all those people are opportunist enemies. You would you would have to be you would have to be the most virtuous you would, little Lord Fauntleroy that has ever been devised, not to take advantage of Western suicide. It's Western suicide, in uh, in different forms. And the fact of the matter is, as, as David Starkey corrected me on this, really, because I was saying, oh, you know, he's the only one, Putin, who's behaving like any prudent head of government would have would have behaved a couple of generations ago. And he said, no, 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 don't, 
don't do that. Just because the fact is, it's just the Europeans, the Americans, the British Dominions that are that that have gone down this suicide path to one degree or another. Uh, who who thinks? Oh, and and the people who had the bodies they founded, and that's why, incidentally. You know, I'm. I don't want World War Three. I look at those scenes. I look at a lot of those scenes coming out of Kiev. If you've been to um, Eastern Europe, Central or Eastern Europe, since the wall fell, since the Iron Curtain came down, it is wonderful to go through capitals, uh, cities like Ljubljana, for example, which is a, a city I love. And to see it restored, not not fully, but to, to re- see it restored to the European uh, family of nations. It's just to re- Budapest. It's all most of these. It's just been fantastic from that point of view. What's happened in the last uh, 30 years. So to see it as happened yesterday. You're in your apartment house and suddenly a missile hits it and the whole thing is now a wreck and a ruin. And you have turned, you have gone from being one of those European capital cities into just a war-torn hellhole. Uh, You've turned uh, in, in the space of an hour and a half from one to the other. That's not something Americans have known. It's something that a lot of elderly Western Europeans can still remember. Um, but it's, it's, it's our future. And in some ways, if it focuses our mind on junking the assumptions of half a century, this poison, this childish crapola, Uh, about, you know, oh, I've got a full beard, but I think I'm going to wear a skirt and uh, and go on a TV reality show. And if you don't use the pronouns I insist on, I'm going to get your Twitter account cancelled. We're a joke. We're a complete joke. Everyone who goes along with this thing is colluding with evil. Yeah, Putin's evil. Chairman Xi is evil. Having all your crappy T-shirts made by slave labor in China is evil. But all this nonsense, abolishing uh, the biological sexes uh, and uh, just uh, and and uh, an obsession imposing the uh, a, a 150-year-old American racial paradigm on the entire Western world so that you in- destroy your own inheritance, so that you uh, the, the world's most glorious paintings, the mo- world's most glorious music, the world's most glorious buildings are no longer looked on as achievements but as some kind of exploitation. That civilization, so-called, deserves to die. If you really believe that, the good news for you is you're going out of business big time and much sooner than you think. And as David, I hate to keep saying as David Starkey and I talked about on last night's Mark Stein show, but if you didn't see it, uh, you missed an interesting uh, conversation on that. He thinks, you know, we will resume. He thinks China, Russia, even India think as uh, traditional imperial powers 
and that we will be back to a and that what will follow the complete implosion of the American moment will be a return to uh, the conventional jostling of imperial powers, which needn't necessarily need to war and violence. There was a lot of peace in uh, Europe, with uh, a few exceptions, um, for uh, for the late nineteenth uh, the late nineteenth century. But but the peace that has come since the Second World War has wrecked everything. You know, these bodies that Americans complain about, like the United Nations, they're quite right to complain about them, but the only reason they're powerful is because of America, because America chose not to operate as a conventional great power uh, when it uh, succeeded in 1950 or thereabouts. Um, but it chose to operate through these transnational institutions that are now almost either useless or malign. So that idiot who's secretary general who was saying, all we are saying is give peace a chance. <laughs> you know, th that's how stupid we are. We actually, we think that hashtags and pop songs defeat tanks and bombers. And then we're surprised at the way. So, so that, by the way, I think that world is, has been absolutely disastrous. If you look at all these things like Davos Man uh, and uh, the World Economic Forum, all that kind of thing, this whole idea that we, we've now bred uh, global elites. I was looking at, I, here's another thing I don't want to talk about, this stupid uh, Supreme Court judge nominee. But I, read, I was reading a tweet from Jake Tapper that said, she's married to a guy whose twin brother is married to a woman whose sister is married to Paul Ryan. I think I got that right. Jake Tapper just tweeted it. This is this is it. This is a this is like uh, dynastic marriages in medieval Europe, except that unlike dynastic marriages in medieval Europe, all these people are crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they've mimicked the forms without any of the substance. Anyway, anyway, um, I don't think these are your main point was on whether this is coordinated. Yes, I think this is coordinated to a degree. Do you know what was it? Molly Hemingway just tweeted this out a couple of hours ago. Uh, the administration in Washington leaked to The New York Times, as they often do, things that they think will make them look good. And in this case, they leaked the fact the fact that uh, for three months they've been sharing their intelligence with China on uh, all these troop movements that Putin's been making. And the reason they did it was so that China would lean on Russia to pipe down and not go ahead and invade Ukraine. And instead, China just shared all the intelligence with Moscow to show what the Americans were picking up and what the Americans knew. And so all this tells you is that people like Thoroughly Modern Millie uh, on the phone to China, letting them in on everything all day long, are idiots. But somehow the administration leaked that to the New York Times uh, because they thought it would make them look good. No, these are opportunist enemies. The only issue here 
All these things. Afghanistan's about American suicide. Uh, Ukraine's about American suicide. Uh, the Iranian nuclear program's about American suicide. China taking off over Latin America in defiance of the Monroe Doctrine is about American suicide. And nobody in America, uh, not the left, but very, if you look at what they're talking about at CPAC, none of them seem to think this is, this whole thing, this whole thing is going to go down uh, fast, brutally, violently. And it's... Uh, you know that's that's not a that's not a good uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, we'll have more of your questions coming up, uh, but first, a sense of perspective. Keep up to date with the past on the Hundred Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. A royal wedding in London. A killer goes to the guillotine. And a carnival of animals. It's February 1922. A hundred years from today. Your world news update in turbulent times. Is there anything more cheering than a royal wedding? Princess Mary won all our hearts with her tireless charity work through the war and after just last year the King and Queen's only daughter became the first patron of the Not Forgotten Association for Ex-Servicemen and hosted a grand Christmas tea party for 600 of them at St James's Palace. They are now among the many celebrating Her Royal Highness's marriage at Westminster Abbey to Viscount Lassell's DSO, a major in the Grenadier Guards and heir to the Earldom of Harwood. The wedding dress reflected many aspects of the empire, from the oh-so-English trellis work of roses in pearls and crystal beads to the lotus-flowered motifs embroidered in India. Lion, a friend of Princess Mary and fiancé to her brother Prince Albert, was among the bride's attendants as they left the abbey, and cheers accompanied the wedding party through the streets to the traditional balcony appearance at Buckingham Palace. The messy aftermath of the Great War appears to be settling down after two days of meetings in Boulogne. British Prime Minister Lloyd George and French Premier Raymond Poincaré have agreed a 20-year military alliance between their respective nations. As the New York Times reports, quote, if it means anything, it must mean an end of the tiresome quarrels between England and France, which have cursed Europe since November the 11th, 1918. Besides agreeing to go to war if Germany should make an unprovoked attack against either nation, the new pact also means, quote, that England and France promise to protect Poland against attack by Germany, a considerable victory gained by France for her Polish protégé. The new agreement will be signed in London just ahead of the April Economic Conference in Genoa. 
In Moscow, Vladimir Lenin has signed into law the All-Russian Central Executive Committee's decree on removal of church valuables for the relief of the starving. Under the decree, the Bolsheviks will pay for famine relief through the confiscation of religious icons containing jewellery, gold, silver or other precious minerals that can be processed or resold. Beginning on March the 26th, police agencies will take, quote, the riches of churches of all denominations in gold, silver and jewels, whose requisition cannot really injure the interests of the cult itself, and hand them over to the official financial bodies for the benefit of the famine. The Patriarch of Moscow has filed a legal appeal to delay the enforcement of the decree. over Egypt and declared de jure Egyptian sovereignty while reserving British authority over Egypt's foreign and military affairs. The announcement states that martial law enforced by the British Army will continue until the Egyptian government passes an act of indemnity to protect British interests and that Britain will reserve its discretion in matters involving the security of British Empire communications, the defence of Egypt against all foreign aggression and interference, the protection of minorities and of foreign interests in Egypt and protection of British interests in the Sudan. who has generally cooperated with British authorities since ascending the throne in 1917, is reported to be considering marking the end of the protectorate by promoting himself to king. On John Bull's other island, where the Irish Free State will soon be inaugurated, the pro-free state and anti-free state factions of the revolutionary Republicans Sinn Féin have signed a truce regarding cooperation with the provisional government and have agreed to revisit the issue of ratification in three months' time. In the United States, the Secretary of the Navy, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., has designated the California City that will serve as the Pacific Fleet's destroyer base. It will be San Diego, a quiet Southern California municipality of some 100,000 people. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has announced its creation of a national airline for regularly scheduled passenger flights. The General Air Surface Corporation will use dirigibles to connect America's major cities. The U.S. Supreme Court has unanimously rejected two challenges to the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, extending the right to vote to women. The court held that a general citizen has no standing to maintain a cause of action against the amendment. It's different in Japan. Parliament, the Diet, has rejected a proposal for universal suffrage with 288 votes against and only 159 in favour of extending voting rights to women.
General Jose Maria Orellana overthrew the government of Guatemala in a coup d'etat in December. He then scheduled a vote to ratify his coup, putting up his fellow coup leader, General Jorge Ubico, as a token alternative on the ballot. General Orellano has now won the so-called election with 95% of the vote to General Ubico's five. Bamberger's department store in Newark, New Jersey, has a lot of radio receivers to sell and to promote sales has launched its own radio station, WOR, broadcasting from the roof of the store across the river into New York City. Its announcer welcomed listeners by using a self-made microphone consisting of a megaphone attached to a telephone mouthpiece. He then introduced the station's first ever phonograph record, Al Jolson singing his sensational new song, April Showers. Life is not a highway strewn with flowers Still it holds a goodly share of bliss When the sun gives way to April showers Here's a thought we should never miss So April showers may come your way Speaking of radio, the very first national radio conference has been opened in Washington by the Commerce Secretary, Herbert Hoover. The Viscount Harcourt, who served as Britain's Secretary of State for the Colonies from 1910 to 1915, has been found dead in his bed from what is believed to be an accidental overdose of the sleeping powder bromidia. There are, however... Other rumours circulating, Lulu Harcourt, as he was known to one and all, being a man of very wide acquaintance. Port Harcourt in Nigeria is named for him. Lord Harcourt was 59 and his 13-year-old son inherits the Viscountcy. Henri Désiré Landru was the so-called Bluebeard of Gambe, a small village in the Ile-de-France region of north-central France. He was convicted last year of murdering ten women and one man 
seven of those women being villagers of Gombe. But we will never know for certain how many he killed. During the late war, he is known to have corresponded with 283 French women. 72 of them cannot be found. Landru has been executed by guillotine at the Saint-Pierre prison in Versailles. He was 52. Saint-Saëns composed this piece of music, and if you're thinking, well, I'm a huge admirer of Monsieur Saint-Saëns, I've never heard that before. Well, he wrote it in 1886 and then started worrying that it could ruin his reputation. So he put it away, and it was never heard. Now, 36 years later, and two months after the composer's death, it has been given its first public performance in Paris by the Concert Cologne Orchestra under Gabriel Pierne. The piece was very well received both by audience and critics and it seems as if we will be hearing much more of it in the years ahead. It is called The Carnival of the Animals. Joseph Jolly Kyle was born in Stirling, Scotland, but emigrated to the Argentine, where he became a pioneering chemist and a pharmacist lieutenant with the Army Medical Corps during the War of the Triple Alliance. He found himself fighting in the bloodiest international engagement ever fought in South America, the Battle of Tuyuti, which cost almost 7,000 lives. He survived that terrible conflict by over half a century and is dead at 84. Samuel A. Derrier seems set for a splendid career as a short story writer. In 1919, he won the prestigious O. Henry Memorial Award in its first year for his story, The Trial in Tom Belcher's Store. And he won a second O. Henry Award just last year. But he is dead of a ruptured appendix at the age of 41. Ella O'Neill was the widow of the famous actor James O'Neill and mother of the young new playwright Eugene O'Neill, whose first full-length work to be produced, Beyond the Horizon, won the Pulitzer Prize in 1920 and whose new play, Anna Christie, is currently playing to sell out houses at the Vanderbilt on Broadway. Despite her celebrated husband and son, Mrs O'Neill did not have a happy life. Shortly after her marriage, a woman of low repute sued James O'Neill, claiming that he was the father of her son. And the birth of Mrs. O'Neill's son Eugene required morphine, which became a lifelong addiction. Ella O'Neill is dead at 64. And that's The Way of the World, February 1922. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. And we thank you, as always, for your questions. Uh, this one 
comes from William in Kiev. Dear Mark, my family and I are in Ukraine and I ask that you keep us in our prayers. We will do so, uh, William. William has been a um, long-time uh, contributor to our Clubland Q&As and uh, it's not the easiest situation to be in where he is now. Uh, basically, Russian troops are uh, at the heart of uh, are approaching the heart of the city and in fact uh, the president of Ukraine and his government uh, are all now in the streets uh, preparing to fight them they've handed out uh, weaponry to any basically to any citizen who wants uh, a gun you can get a gun and you can take it to the russians they they're going on the old Churchillian method, uh, you can always take one with you. Anyway, we will keep you in our prayers, William, and uh, do stay as safe as you can in the present circumstances. William uh, then says, on to my question now. I think elites like Gates, Zuckerberg and Schwab are correct when they say ordinary people need to be managed, but they are the wrong people to manage us, for they hail from the rabble they seek to govern. Instead of having bourgeois barbarians as our elites, why not have a return to the old noble families of Europe? I think the Romanov, Habsburg, Bourbon and Hohenzollern families have a window of opportunity to regain power if they enter the political fray on our side and offer an alternative solution to the current status. I would rather be ruled by Prussian junkers than woke Eurocrats any day of the week. I would appreciate your thoughts. All our love, William from Kiev. Well, William, you have a very good point. Again, it was something that I don't want to have to keep saying this, but that we I talked about uh, with... Uh, uh, with David Starkey last night on the show, because whatever you think of empires, whatever you think of non, let's put it this way, non-democratic entities, whether you're thinking of tyrannies, whether you're thinking of absolute monarchies, whatever you, however you want to put it, normal normal societies operate in the interests of those societies. You can be against imperialism. But basically, the British Empire, the French Empire, the Portuguese Empire, whatever you want to talk about, they went around the world prosecuting their interests. Now we have lived for half a century now, not half a century, but certainly in this century, which is now two decades old, coming up to a quarter of the way through, we have lived with these weird elites that are not connected to anywhere on the ground. They're just basically jetting above us permanently at 30,000 feet uh, on the way from one summit to another. They touch down in Davos and they complain, as uh, Klaus Schwab does, about the terrible catering and janitorial services. They all get back in their planes. They fly off somewhere else. And they're, they're a race apart. And... Uh, and and actually, it's too weird. It's too sick. As we've seen during the COVID era, uh, they are totally disconnected from us. And almost anything, and the people you mention are very variable. You know, I'm easier with uh, Habsburgs and uh, Hohenzollerns than I am with Romanovs. But uh, there is something to be said for a an elite that is rooted 
in the land they purport to govern. Now, that is not at all true of someone like John Kerry. Uh, it's increasingly untrue of any of the people that you, uh, that you see jetting around at Davos. And in fact, it's an, uh, I think it is a system that cannot last and its end is devoutly to be wished and hastened. Um, and I don't, I, I, I think, I don't know whether the Hohenzollerns are going to be coming back anytime soon. I think it's interesting that Montenegro, as I mentioned uh, on TV a couple of nights back, basically has made the Prince of Montenegro a sort of co-ruler with the president. They both get the same salary. They both get to go around uh, Europe representing Montenegro, and they both enjoy uh, similar powers. For example, the Prince of Montenegro, it's not a restoration to the throne, but it's a recognition that uh, that if you're that there, there's a reason why these these people and this land met and bonded, and so he has, for example, the pardon, the power of the pardon that uh, that in America the United States president uh, had. We had another we had another sort of comment on this. Who was it? Uh, who was it uh, from? Let me have a, let me find where it is. I think it was from uh, Laura Rosen Cohen, who does Laura's links here at Stein Online. She wanted to know how did Klaus Schwab become a thing? I don't remember voting for him to be king of the world. Do you think he's more powerful than the big tech oligarchs? Also, for real and not for joking, how creepy is his accent? Yeah, that's the thing. He's a he's a funny guy because he's lived in Switzerland since he, he was born in Germany to a Swiss family, basically. I think uh, all of his grandparents are Swiss. I think his dad was actually born in Germany. But he's basically uh, lived in Switzerland since he was um, six years old when the Gestapo complained about his mother's Swiss accent in 1944. You would have thought uh, the Gestapo had other things to worry about in 1944. But uh, the Schwabs took the hint and went back to Switzerland. And he's lived there all that time as a German citizen. And a couple of years ago, the uh, the president of Switzerland, whose name I forget because nobody, even if you're in Switzerland, you don't know the name of the president because he's generally an unimportant person, which is the best kind of president to have. Uh, what you don't want is a uh, a dead husk of a moth-eaten sock puppet who has all these uh, extraordinary powers to basically wreck anything he touches. The Swiss presidential system is better from that point of view, and that's why nobody even knows who his name is in Switzerland. But he recommended <laughs> Klaus Schwab for Swiss citizenship at whatever it is, whatever it's called, the Cantonal Council, uh, where he was living, looked into Klaus Schwab and decided, ah, no, I don't think we're going to go for it. So he's lived in Switzerland since he's six. All of his grandparents are Swiss. His mother's Swiss, but he's ineligible for some mysterious reason for Swiss citizenship. So they know something about him that we don't know. As I said the other day, he's like a cartoon villain of a... <laughs> Uh, you know, a Teutonic villain with his his bald skull. All he really needs is the monocle and the uh, and the dueling scar. Uh, I. Uh, what's interesting 
is that the so-called World Economic Forum, originally I think it was called the European Management Forum. He started it in 19, in the early 70s. And it was only in the early 80s that he changed its name to the World Economic Forum so that it sounds like an official body, which is very cunning in a way. And I was interested, you know, uh, he has two children, he has a, let me, I should look this up because I want to make sure I get this right uh, about him. He has a, uh, a daughter and a son. Interestingly, the son works in Beijing or Peking as, uh, as uh, Peter Hitchens prefers. And uh, he works, so the son is in Peking running the... Peking office, the Chinese office of the World Economic Forum, and the daughter uh, is head of something called the Gender Equality Project. So he's got absolutely perfect kids for a globalist because one of them is in China in league with Chairman Xi and the other is in the West contributing to the complete wreckage of the West with the gender equality project or whatever it is. So she's contributing to the whole identity politics racket. Um, And Klaus Schwab is quite explicit. All these people are that we need to move beyond democracy and that the new government model for the world is all these connected globalists. And I, you know, William in Kiev is right. I'd rather have the Hohenzollerns. I'd rather have the Romanovs. I'd certainly rather have the Habsburgs. It's not normal, this. It's not natural, and it's not going to last. Because in the end, China will use these people, the Davos class. It's basically bought them. You know, these so-called globalists, they're getting a lot of money for being talentless twits who wreck everything they touch. And as we have just seen, Ukraine is really a preview of the future, I think. China will be running the world, the parts of the world that matters, the valuable parts of the matter that matter. So China will have its hooks into places like Davos, but then on the sort of fringe where it doesn't matter quite so much, like Ukraine, the bad cop end of the deal, uh, Putin will be taken out. America is largely, do you know what I find sad about all this? Is that um, everybody acts now on the assumption that America is over. And you don't even have to talk about it. People sort of get it. And they and they act like that accordingly. And they act like that accordingly. It's a really it's a really sad and and that's why I can't you know I'm sorry if you were tuned in and you expect me to talk about the Supreme Court nomination but uh, as I said to Tucker you know last time this came round a judge's republic is a contradiction in terms and it's just so stupid we're actually we're actually seeing all the stupidity of the modern obsessions crashing down all around us the great advantage that putin has and that chairman xi has is that they don't they're not hobbled by all this diversity is our strength crapola 
They don't have to worry about that at all. They don't have to think about that at all. They don't actually want any of it. If you're looking at it from Putin's point of view or even from Macron's point of view and you see advancing towards you 57 different gender identities and a lot of whining, pampered twerps who've grown up in the most cosseted society on earth uh, having a hissy fit uh, because someone has uh, mispronounced them on social media. Why the hell would you want any part of it? It's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. And it's not going to be around much longer. You know, Ukraine, and I, I, you know, I'm thinking of William here. I'm thinking of the, the last time, actually I might, I might say a few words uh, about that because it sort of came up on the Sunday poem. I mentioned, uh, if you saw our poem last weekend, I mentioned that I knew... Uh, Sir Cheverell Sitwell, who was tangentially connected to that poem, and he came from a long line of English baronets uh, and married a nice Canadian girl. And uh, back in the 80s, he gave me a, a copy of his book, Romanian Journey, in which he recounts a visit he made to the Book of Ena in 1937. And back then, I think that uh, most of it, almost all of it perhaps, was in Greater Romania. And it had formerly been the easternmost province of the Habsburg Empire. And it's now uh, certainly the northern part in the Ukraine and certainly the capital city, uh, Chernivitz, um, as uh, Sir Chevrel called it, or Chernivtsi, as it's known today in Ukrainian. And back then, it was known as Little Vienna to the Habsburgs. And also uh, Jerusalem on the Prout, for reasons I'll let uh, Sir Chevrolet explain. This passage is quoted in one of my books. I can't remember whether it's America Alone or After America. And he writes, there is not a shop, this is the capital of the Book of Vina, there is not a shop that has not a Jewish name painted above its windows. The entire commerce of the place is in the hands of the Jews. Yiddish is spoken here more than German. So you get that he has uh, an effete English distaste for the general atmosphere. Uh, while at the same time acknowledging certain advantages. Uh, quote, the benefit of this Jewish hegemony is a noticeable quickness of brains, he writes. Shopping takes up a tenth of the time that it consumes in other towns. Uh, you won't hear Yiddish in the stores these days. The Jews of uh, Chernovitz are dead or fled, as they are from a thousand other cities across the continent. You won't hear a word of German either. Linguistically, uh, the town is now about 80% Ukrainian, 12% Russian, uh, with Romanian and a few other bits and bobs making up the rest. In other words, in a, and this was true at the time I visited the Bukovina in uh, the 90s. So we had gone in the space of half a century. There had been a total demographic transformation. And I don't, I don't think most people don't have the imaginative capacity to see that the entire physical world, that what they're looking at right now, the entire society, all its cultural norms can be erased and replaced by something entirely different in nothing flat. So that the old Yiddish and German communities in little Vienna 
or Jerusalem on the Prout in Chernivtsi today are just in, exist only in the museum. And so the idea that it will be as if you were never here is something that I think, you know, I, I use permanence is the illusion of every age. I use that line too often. But I think that we, we lack the imaginative capacity. I can tell you the only question mark is what succeeds us. Because this total crap that we have, whenever, you hear, whenever you're talking to someone uh, and they start going on about climate change, you just say to them, look, oil's $100 a barrel. Are you working for Putin? Are you working for the Russia? Are you working for the Kremlin? Maybe we need a multi-year investigation into you like the one you supported against Trump. Because actually, you climate change guys... Uh, who who got rid of the Keystone Pipeline, uh, are working for Putin. Putin couldn't afford to go and bomb poor old William in Kiev right now if oil was at 25 bucks a gallon. And if, and if he wasn't selling 700,000 barrels, uh, no, it's getting, uh, it's getting, it's going up, it's going up, it's getting closer to a million barrels a day uh, of oil to the Americans every day of the week. So if you're talking about climate change, you're working for Putin. Um, if you support America's crap sports, you're working for Chairman Xi. I can't stand... You know, there's a lot of my friends who host these American talk radio shows and all the rest of it, and uh, they, uh, some of them are genuinely interested in these, uh, in these sports. But these sports, these corporate sports, again, you're working for Chairman G. Now, uh, again, if you're talking about pronouns, if you're advertising your pronouns, as MI6 now do, it's like it's like uh, they they they're starting this thing uh, where they've all got to think about white privilege and their pronouns. So it's like uh, the name's Bond, James Bond, he him. Uh, that's what that's MI six now. This is death. All I can say for certain is this isn't going to last. We're a laughing stock. We're a laughing stop. We're up against people who've stolen the planet. We, we have a global superpower that accounts for 40% of military spending and can't uh, fight its way out of a bag of toffees. Uh, so there's no point to that. You might as well just... Uh, the Pentagon is... Uh, the Pentagon's just like one of the most horrible places uh, I've ever visited because from the moment you're there, you're, all, you're, all you get is war as bureaucracy. War as bureaucracy. So the point of war, there are no war aims anymore. That's why we lose. There's no war aims. The only aim is to keep the war going until everybody's made enough money uh, on it to retire. Now, there's always been an element of that. There was, a, there was a, certainly a bit of that in the late 19th and early 20th century. But the idea was still to win the war because in healthy societies, they notice if you're spending a huge amount of money and getting nothing to show for it. We don't. But nobody wants, you know, so that's a complete waste of time. Then you have, uh, you know, the European Union. And in, the, the European Union, oh, yes, we're going to get really tough 
We're going to send Putin a message that will make him back down. Certainly he'll, okay, he might take the Baltics and he might take Poland, but he's certainly going to stop before he reaches Germany. Uh, We're going to expel him uh, from the footy championship and from the Eurovision Song Contest. All we can say for certain is that this, whatever succeeds us, uh, it will be something else because we're going down the toilet of history. And people now, you know, what's what's in, I, I got criticized because uh, I, I have uh, Naomi Wolf on because Naomi Wolf uh, is was basically a fairly doctrinaire lefty and has changed uh, during the course of the covid because she's opposed to the COVID. But I get attacked by people when I have her on. Well, what would you have her on? She voted for Joe Biden. Lionel Shriver, who keeps pointing out that, uh, for example, FDR's uh, law entitling the United States government uh, to confiscate any American citizen's gold is still on the books. People say, oh, she, yeah, but she voted for Biden and uh, Naomi Wolf voted for Biden. Their people, they're in a transition. And so one has to be careful because basically the right is so déclassé that they don't actually want to think of themselves as being on the right. And in a sense, these distinctions are becoming less relevant because it's basically the world of delusion where John, John Kerry is furious with Putin Uh, because he's distracting the world from climate change. It's the world of delusion and a world that still has a tangential connection to reality. But the people to get at are not Naomi Wolf and Lionel Shriver, who are in their own, you know, tortured way, are heading in the right direction. It's the people, it's these fools that we're so... Oh, it's so exciting, isn't it? Look, Joe Biden's appointing a black woman to the Supreme Court for the first... Who thinks like this? He stood there and he insulted her by talking about, you know, she's supposedly a great jurist, one of the nine greatest judges in America. That's why she gets to be on the Supreme Court. And all he's saying is, oh, you're just uh, checking the identity politics uh, you know, uh, box on the form. Uh, I would have gone for a tranny, but we couldn't find a tranny judge. This is stupid, and it deserves to be mocked and ridiculed. It's killing. It's if you if you believe this stuff and you've got kids, your kids are gonna wind up living under Putin, wind up living under Chairman Xi, wind up living under the Ayatollahs. They're gonna wind up living under something real because this rubbish isn't real. Kate. Smythe uh, of uh, the uh, great, uh, what do I always call her? The doyen of uh, Mark Stein Club members down under. Kate says, Hi Mark, there have been some great conversations and insights on your GB News show in recent days. You and David Starkey Alluded to John Kerry and the Give Peace a Chance Davos crowd as being completely out of touch on Putin and Ukraine. Your guest, Peter Schiff, warned before the bombing started of massive looming inflation. Well, we're going to have we've got massive looming inflation right now. It's sort of just about reaching, you know, it's it's above seven and heading for double digits. And that hurts. And that hurts. Um, but but the sanctions 
will make things worse. The sanctions will up the price of energy. It's ludicrous, really, imposing sanctions on people who supply America's oil and Europe's gas, but we're going to do it, and we will be feeling the pain of those sanctions long before Russians feel the pain of those sanctions. So Kate says, to what extent do you think Putin has been deliberately provoked into a conflict by NATO expansion and U.S. support for it, and conspiracy theory alert by global elites whose aim is to use war along with a man-made pandemic and global energy crisis as a cover to further centralize their wealth and power. Could the current situation, in fact, be a win-win for both sides when viewed from this perspective? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the reason. Well, let's put it this way. I I don't think he was head-faked into a war. I think he thinks he can take something real and that when the dust is settled, it will have advantaged him. And uh, either half or all of Ukraine will be back in the Russian fold. Um, so he, he will accomplish something real from it. Maybe, meanwhile, you have disastrous uh, Western policies, particularly in the United States. You have basically policies that are impoverishing Americans every day of the week. Now, people are starting to notice, which is why Biden's numbers are, are horrible. What do you, as I said at the beginning of the show, what's the best way to counter that? Oh, yeah, foreign bogeyman alert. Yes, over there. It's all Putin's fault. I think this is actually part of the reason, certainly why uh, the Germans are going along with it, because everything has been they've made everything so bad that it's actually very convenient to have a, a cartoon villain like Putin to blame it on. But I think it's particularly true in the United States because of the idiocy of the Republican Party. So the Republican Party, which ought to be talking about the fact for example, that America is committing suicide at its at its borders. It's it's letting in all the fentanyl, uh, the child sex uh, traffickers, the MS-13 gang members taking machetes to people in suburban Long Island. You know, the the Mexican border basically goes all the way up to you know about twenty minutes south of the Canadian border now. Uh, Instead of talking about that, instead of talking about inflation, when you see a Republican on TV, it's going to be Lindsey Graham uh, demanding boots on the ground somewhere that most Americans can't find on a map. So that works for Joe Biden, too, actually. Um, And I think, again, the whole thing is they can't find a quite find a way to get out of this covid business. And so what is the one way that you could uh, the, the one way that puts everything else aside for a bit is if you go straight into war. We've, we've seen this before, <laughs> incidentally, you know, the way Clinton went straight from impeachment uh, to the uh, what was it? The Kosovo War. You know, the, the, this is they want they want a non-war war. They want a non-war war that doesn't involve actually sending troops anywhere or whatever, but serves as uh, just puts Lindsey Graham on TV often enough to cost the Republicans the midterms. And uh, and whereas Putin is happy to go along with it because he'll get a real country out of it. That is, alas, the 
bonkers state of the world we have come to. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have more on this, of course, in the days ahead on the Mark Stein show and uh, elsewhere. Um, but I. Uh, uh, Kate may Kate, who's usually right on the old conspiracy theory front, may well be right there that in fact this suits uh, both parties. But I, I I come back to what I said. Our world is too stupid to survive, and it doesn't deserve to survive. And you know, after you've just seen this rubbish, uh, on the second day of the war, uh, Joe Biden has already gone back to you know identity politics bollocks. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Um, we always close with music. And it sort of feels right to have a little bit of Ukrainian music of a fashion. Uh, Dmitry Tiomkin was born in 1894 in Kremenchuk in the Poltava Oblast in what was then the Russian Empire and is likely to be so again. But he is actually Ukrainian. And uh, after the Russian Revolution, he moved to Berlin and then to Paris and eventually to Hollywood, where he became a great film composer. And most people, I think, will still know his Oscar-winning song for High Noon, Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly, Do Not Forsake Me, O My Darling, uh, which Ukrainians en masse are singing in a general westerly direction, albeit in vain. Um, a couple of years after that, 1957, Mr. Tiomkin scored a rather forgettable George Cuker picture and, as was obligatory in those days, wrote a title theme. And Nina Simone was very taken by it. And David Bowie was very taken by Miss Simone's take on it. And so a bunch of wannabe R&B divas on the one hand and rock and roll types on the other have covered either the Simone or Bowie versions down the decades. Chrissy Hinder, The Pretenders, George Michael, Cat Power, Lauren Hill. Uh, but this was the first guy to sing it over that film's opening titles. And we want to be authentically Ukrainian. So this is evidently the tempo Dmitry Tyomkin wanted it at. It's got generally slower over the ensuing uh, two-thirds of a century. Uh, and I'm rather partial to the gusts in the orchestration, Johnny Mathis, wild is the wind. Love me, love me, say you do. Let me fly away with you. My love is like the wind and wild is the wind Give me more than one caress Satisfy this hungriness Let the wind blow through your heart for wild is the wind You touch me I hear the sound of mandolins You kiss me 
He still sings that on stage. He may sing it a week from today at the Golden Nugget in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Words by Ned Washington. Music by one of my favorite Ukrainian composers, Dmitry Tiomkin. Wild is the wind that blows from the east. This story moves hour by hour and we will stay on it as we have done all week. On the Mark Stein Show, we'll also have music and Rick McGuinness's movie pick over the weekend at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free. Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.